Support for IPR comes from the Healing Room at Upstream Functional Medicine, offering medical spa services that support the body's natural ability to detoxify from environmental challenges. Learn more about the Healing Room at upstreamfm.com. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. We have welcomed three new voices to Iowa Public Radio in just the last few months. And today we are going to get to know them better. I'll visit with Sheila Brummer, our Western Iowa reporter, and John Wanamaker, our All Things Considered host. But first, Grant Leo Winterer is here. He's based in Cedar Falls, covers that part of the state as a reporter. He's also on the air every Saturday morning as the local host of Weekend Edition. Hello, Grant. Hi, Charity. How are you? Good. It's wonderful to have you here. Yeah. And you are not a native Iowan. No. You grew up in our rival state mm-hmm. of Nebraska. So tell yep. me, uh, you grew up in Omaha? Yeah, across the river there. Um, yep. Born and raised in Omaha. Went to school there. I went to Creighton. Graduated with a degree in creative writing when I specialized in poetry. All right. Mm-hmm. And did you intend to become a poet? Uh, I think... So I still might. All right, good. <laughs> I kind of have stepped away from it for a little bit, but um, the impulse is certainly still there. Nice, mm-hmm. nice. So after school, what did you do? So I graduated and then ended up in Western Massachusetts for the better part of my 20s. I was kind of on a track to pursue master's studies and was going down that path and then decided that I didn't really want to do that anymore because there was just so much kind of life to be lived. And so I kind of ended up hanging out in Western Mass for years. And you were in multiple bands during oh, that time? Yeah, yeah. The uh, the the old sort of slogan of the Pioneer Valley was great friends, terrible bands. <laughs> and it's true. They're... they're <laughs> <laughs> they were a lot of fun, um, weren't very good, would play just about any instrument I could get my hands on. Oh, really? Yeah. So You, you don't specialize? Or what? what what's your favorite? Uh, I suppose I'd always really liked, I really liked playing the drums, but it was definitely the thing that I was worst at, so nobody ever let me do it. <laughs> Well, you're working up in Cedar Falls. You're surrounded by the Studio One team. So maybe there's an opportunity (laughs) to make a comeback. Yeah, I would like that very much. Awesome. Awesome. (laughs) So what brought you back to the Midwest? Uh, It was time. My family's here. Um, I do have a lot of friends that are in the area still. And after kind of gallivanting around the East Coast, I felt it was uh, necessary to come back and be closer to what I'd always kind of considered home. Coming home didn't mean that that's also when you found radio, though. You spent a little time slumming it as a librarian, I did, (laughs) yep, for the Omaha Public Library at the, yeah, the downtown main branch, which is no longer. Oh, wow. They demolished it, and they're putting a skyscraper in its place. But um, I was, yes, a specialist there. So part of what my job there entailed was going through the archives and figuring out what was kind of worth saving and archiving as far as moving things out of that building when they were going to tear it down, which was a whole lot of fun. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Well, and I I was joking when I said slumming it as a librarian. (laughs) I think a lot of people who work in public radio see that as one of the roads not traveled. Like, oh, if only I'd become a librarian. (laughs) There's similar energies for sure. Absolutely. So where does radio come into all of this? I worked at the the 
library for a year. I'd always kind of had this kind of romantic idea about radio. I thought it was so much fun. It was so cool. My cousin, when he was at the University of Indiana, did a nighttime radio show. And there was one night where I was actually up visiting him and got to be a part of that when I was probably 13, 14 years old. And it was like, this is the the coolest thing in the world. And so I've always kind of had it in the back of my mind that I would try to get involved in some way or like maybe make a, a go at it, try to find a career in it. And I kind of through twists and turns ended up here. Wow. Well, yeah. and what was your first job in radio? I was the news director for two radio stations in Broken Bow, Nebraska. All right. So you went from poet, rock star, yeah. librarian <laughs> to news director. Yes. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. that makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a total <laughs> linear path. <laughs> and then what brought you here? Uh, I saw the opportunity and kind of just applied for it. I um, earned a couple of Nebraska Broadcasters Awards just this past year for some coverage that I did and kind of felt that, well, maybe I could do something like this in in um, a less commercial sense because where I was previously was it was a it was locally owned, but it was still a commercial operation. And I always kind of loved the idea of of public radio and being a part of it. So I applied and they took me. (laughs) Well, we're awfully happy that that's (laughs) what happened. So uh, were you a public radio listener? Was that something that just kind of grew on you over time? I, I mean, my folks listened to it when I was growing up. So it was always kind of a part of our weekends at the very least when we'd be driving from point A to point B, mm-hmm. just around. We'd have it on in the car, and that was kind of the, I guess, the broadest exposure I would have had to it was a lot of, you know, weekend programming and things like that. And throughout college, I would tune in for, you know, all things considered and things like that after I was done with my studies in the library and Well, such. we call those weekend shows, often we call them the gateway shows, uh-huh. because this American life is what pulls people in, or car talk? Car talk, what do you yes, know? what do you know, and car talk are two perennial favorites of mine. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so what are you excited about now that you're in public radio? Mm-hmm. Uh, what does that mean for you? What are you excited about having the opportunity to do? Uh, I... So far, I got to say, I've been a big fan of, I mean, doing the the weekend, like hosting weekend edition. Mm-hmm. There's something about uh, engaging in the broadcasting and the board side of it that just is, it's awesome. Like, you know, there's the old, uh, what do uh, NFL players say? They say, we work six days a week and we throw in Sundays for free. It's kind of like that. All you right. Know? So like, nice. yeah, I, I enjoy reporting and things like that and getting to know the area doing spots and covering all kinds of things that I, from my understanding, haven't really been um, covered a whole lot in that part of the state, which is cool. But then, you know, Saturday rolls around, I can yank myself out of bed and get down to the studio and do it live. I really enjoyed the piece that you did about the new grocery store opening up in Waterloo in in an area that really was a a food desert. Yeah. Yeah. It's super cool. And that's still kind of ongoing. There's there's a lot of things that that store continues to do in terms of their community outreach because they've got a community center that's attached to it as well as a restaurant. Mm-hmm. They're, they're doing all kinds of community engagement that goes beyond like providing produce, even though that is something that was sorely needed uh, for the Walnut neighborhood. It's really cool to follow. So you are new to Iowa. Yeah. 
has there been any kind of culture shock? Uh, the number of vanity license plates is really? out of control. I thought it was bad in Nebraska. <laughs> so, I mean, I've been in Iowa yeah. a long time. You really think we have more vanity license plates? Yeah, yeah. it's, uh, you know, your, your, your Hawkeyes and your Cyclones. Your fans are out there. I mean, it's cool to see, but it's 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 new. It is. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. I, I never would have. I, again, I I just I guess it's part of my everyday life. I hadn't <laughs> noticed. So you, you actually believe that we may have more vanity plates per mm-hmm. capita than than Nebraska or anywhere else? Maybe anywhere else. At least I'm pretty sure more than Massachusetts per capita. <laughs> And there's I mean, that's not saying that there aren't a great many in Nebraska as well, but. We uh, we've only got the one university. You guys have the two big ones, so there's a lot of opportunity. But there's to plenty of Panther plates too. There, there are, yeah, and I see, uh, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of vanity plates. Yep, there's <laughs> there's probably um, your Hawkeye and Cyclone puns are never ending, from what I'm That's seeing. That's true. That is that is 100 true. Especially <laughs> you can work sigh into almost any <laughs> yes. words. So have you already been plotting your own vanity plate? I'm, yeah, I'm thinking. I'm thinking about it, but I got to figure out what's actually taken and what's not. So. Oh yeah, I well, start building a list. Okay, well, <laughs> I can't wait for the big reveal. <laughs> yeah. That's very exciting. Have you had much of an opportunity to explore the Cedar Valley area? Uh, I have. That's kind of one of the 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 cool things about the job is that like part of it is exploration. So like that's been kind of fun to like see where people I'm talking to point me. I haven't had the opportunity to do it as much as I would like, but then again, I've only been here for four months or so. So, yeah. Well, we're expecting many more great things. Hey, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It should be fun. Grant, thank you so much for talking with me. Thanks a million, Charity. Grant Leo Winter, IPR's Weekend Edition host, also our Northeast Iowa reporter. Coming up in just a few minutes, we will meet Sheila Brummer, IPR's Western Iowa reporter, and our new All Things Considered host, John Wanamaker. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Support for IPR comes from the Healing Room at Upstream Functional Medicine, offering medical spa services that support the body's natural ability to detoxify from environmental challenges. Learn more about The Healing Room at UpstreamFM.com. Support for IPR comes from The Healing Room at Upstream Functional Medicine, offering medical spa services that support the body's natural ability to detoxify from environmental challenges. Learn more about The Healing Room at UpstreamFM.com. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. This hour, we're meeting some of the newer voices on the air here at Iowa Public Radio. Later in the show, I'll talk with All Things Considered host John Wanamaker. But with me right now is IPR's Western Iowa reporter, Sheila Brummer. She joined our team just a few months ago in August. Sheila, welcome. Hey, Charity. It's great to be here. Well, it's wonderful to have you here in every sense of the word. We love that you're part of IPR now. And you live in Sioux City, but you are in no way new to Western Iowa. Tell me a little bit about where you grew up. Yeah, I grew up on a farm in Crawford County outside of Dallas City near Dunlap and lived there my whole life in the middle of nowhere. Um, graduated high school, attended Buena Vista and Storm Lake for a year, graduated from Morningside. And so that's kind of where I started my career. I started actually in radio and then moved into television, worked in different markets, um, ended up in Las Vegas, 
And then 10 years ago, moved back to Sioux City for work and to be closer with family. Plus I had a baby. So they say whatever happens in Vegas follows you around for the next 18 years. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds compelling. True. (laughs) So you decided you wanted to be a journalist really early on. Ever since you were five years old, you've wanted to be a journalist? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, why? (laughs) Because I lived in the middle of nowhere, or I thought so at the time. And I was always super curious. I was always asking questions all the time. I think my teachers probably were a little tired of me asking questions constantly. And I wanted to know what was going on in the world beyond my my small little farm. So I was always curious about what was going on around me. Um, I turned five for Christmas that year. I received a typewriter. And while riding the school bus in fifth grade um, on, I even had a newsletter for the kids on the school bus. It was called the Bus 72 Report. Oh, my goodness. And I think that's, yeah. And I've always wanted to do this. I loved radio. I would record the top 40, pretend I was a DJ. I got a tape recorder for the 10th birthday. And I did a hidden microphone. And what I would do is hide the microphone and then get my dad really mad and then record it and play it back. That's oh my really goodness. not very nice, though. Wow. <laughs> so yeah. do you, I, I'm surprised you even knew what a journalist was at the age of five. Did you have journalists that you were watching on TV or that you followed that you wanted to emulate? Just the network news. My mom was a news junkie. So maybe that's where it all started. I also read kind of at an early age. It didn't help me weigh down <laughs> for future education, but I, I read at a very early age, watched quite a bit of news. I remember watching Nightline. I would stay up late when I was way too young. It was in the early 80s when Nightline started. And so I would stay up late to watch that program as well. Oh, my goodness. And I know. Do you remember any of the stories that you covered for your bus? Oh, Bus 72 Report. Yes. Um, I asked people like their favorite song. And at the time, um, yeah, I would ask like your favorite song, your favorite color. I would profile um, someone who rode on the bus. So that's what that included. Wow. And then I would like each one would be done individually. <laughs> so there'd only be a few copies because that's before I had access to Oh to my a, gosh, a you printer, had to type so. them out yourself. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. And then I would draw like a little bus on the top of it. So you wanted to to travel the world to see the world beyond Western Iowa. Tell me a little bit about uh, getting into those first jobs as a journalist. As you started being a journalist, how did your goals change? I think, you know, I started in Sioux City and it was hard to get that first job because at the time there were only three networks. I'm aging myself here, but it was hard to find that first job. And then once you started working in the business, it it can be really tough. You have to move quite often. I left Sioux City, worked in Wisconsin. I worked in Des Moines, Omaha, and kind of was moving, trying to move up. But then I realized good storytelling can be done anywhere, anywhere where you live. It's important to find a place where people are nurturing and really support you as a journalist. Working in television, what led you toward radio again? I think I was kind of over television news or maybe television news was over me. I think there comes a time when you realize 
it is a lot of work to do television news and radio can be too, but it's all more about appearance, what you look like. And I was getting older. I actually was starting to get bullied about my weight and it came not from viewers. It came from internal and that really isn't really healthy. And now moving into public radio has been nurturing. You can do the stories that really matter. You have more time to do stories. And I think that's more important to me now. Let's think back over your television career, though. You worked a lot of places. You did a lot of things. Any? Do you have a highlight or two that you'd like to share? Yeah, there are a few different highlights. Years ago when I worked at KCCI, there was a drought and I covered a story in Menlo, Iowa. We, I was working with photojournalist Courtney Kinzer, who is one of the best in the country. And we do this whole story about drought and it is dry. We have all, all this video and I didn't have a cell phone at the time. So what I had to do was go to a local business to call and it was a bar. And at the bar, the guys are playing cards and I'm like, what are you guys doing? And, and they're like, oh, we're playing cards, but we're mainly talking about how bad this weather really is. So I said to, to Courtney, hey, we're going to reshoot this whole story. And we basically focused on just the card game and talking about the weather. So that was a pretty memorable story. Yeah. When I worked, yeah, when I worked in Omaha, a more serious story, there was a guy who was in prison for 40 plus years and he had um, done many years in prison for first degree murder. And it was for a case in the mid sixties, but the guy who actually pulled the trigger got out in 84 and his wife tried for years to get him out of prison in Nebraska and it just didn't happen. Well, eventually um, he was denied a chance to get out one more time. He'd always go and asked to get out early um, out of prison. And so his his wife, who I had met and did, had done stories on, she was very frustrated. So I called the governor's office and just said, you might want to look closer at this whole case. And they said, well, we know someone that maybe they could reach out to. And so they reached out to another a former governor who actually took this guy's case and Jerry Irving was able to get out of prison in 2009. And I didn't get to do the final story because I was mainly just anchoring at the time. But I think um, just that story meant a lot to me because Jerry didn't commit the murder. He was part of a group of guys. They were at a bar in North Omaha. And some of the friends came into the bar and shot the bartender. And Jerry, and it was a horrible crime, of course. Jerry had grabbed... Um, alcohol from the bar and took off. So it was all part of a first degree murder case. And so he was in prison for many, many years. He was in prison 27 years longer than the guy who actually pulled the trigger. Wow. One of those moments in your career where yeah. you definitely felt like you made a difference. Yes. And so, you know, you cover all different stories, light stories as well. I know when I worked in Des Moines, I actually um, interviewed Aquaman, um, Jason Momoa. So that was kind of an interesting story as well. So you kind of do everything. <laughs> you want to tell us more about interviewing Jason Momoa? You were one of uh, the first journalists to talk to him, weren't you? Yeah, I think I might have been, at least in Des Moines anyway. This is way back in the late 90s. He had just gotten his job for um, Baywatch Hawaii, and it was a big deal. And so I remember interviewing him at Des Moines Waterworks Park. He was there with his mom. He was also there with his grandma. And um, they he did the interview and he, he looked really young. He was young. I think we all were at the time. And that was kind of a memorable thing to interview him. And, and the funny thing is, I actually was more of a celebrity than he was at the time. Right. And I really wasn't one. So that tells you, you know, he was just starting out. I think we're all familiar with minor celebrity, local celebrity. You were yeah. I, you were a pretty big deal. 
No, and I was going to say, and now I live in Sioux City and they call it Sioux Liberty. So it's kind of funny. I like that. I like that. So what, in coming back to working in public radio, IPR wasn't your first stop coming back. You've been working in Sioux City for a while, right? Yeah, I worked for an NPR um, affiliate, Siouxland Public Media, and I was there for just about five years. We had such a small staff, though. There were only like four full-time employees, so you kind of do it all, everything from fundraising. I even did music. Um, I was kind of the nighttime uh, host for music programs, did a lot of live shows, setting up live equipment, recording musical um, acts even. So, yeah, it was a pretty busy job, but pretty meaningful as well. We're very excited to have you on board at IPR now. And as our Western Iowa reporter, of course, we're a statewide network, but so many of our reporters are based in central Iowa. We have a reporter in eastern Iowa and and one up in northeast Iowa as well. But uh, Western Iowa is, is part of the state that doesn't get nearly as much coverage. So tell me a little bit about what it means to you to be able to tell stories from Western Iowa that are heard statewide. Well, I think you're right. I think a lot of people forget about this side of the state. Um, It's kind of hard for Sioux City sometimes because you have South Dakota that has different economic incentives for business. So I think Sioux City kind of loses out on that as well. And Western Iowa. I worked in Omaha. And I remember even back in the day where they really didn't cover a lot of Western Iowa news. If it happened in Council Bluffs, they they didn't cover that, that part of the state all the time. They mainly focused on what was going on in Omaha and even Lincoln. So I think it's really important to highlight those areas where you don't always have the coverage. And I'm hoping to even get um, down more in south southwestern Iowa. I do know that area as well, working in Omaha for about seven years in television. So I think it's important to have the voices there because they really do not have that representation when it comes to media. What have you been most excited about doing so far on IPR? I mean, it's only been since August, but you've done just really great work so far. Oh, geez. Thanks, Jerry. That means a lot coming from you. I, uh, I, for some reason, um, everything kind of became all about butterflies and monarch butterflies. I did a story in Storm Lake, Iowa, where I, I know that community quite well. And there was a great mural that was done by artists from Mexico. And it was all about the cultural significance of Storm Lake, because Storm Lake is full of this vibrant culture. There are so many different languages spoken there. And this whole mural represented that, like the migration that that took place um, for that community. Well, what's ironic, I did a story on, on that mural and then NPR had me do a story about monarch butterfly tagging. So it kind of came full circle um, being able to do that story. And the interesting You're thing the about butterfly the butterfly beat. Tag- <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of was on the butterfly beat. I love monarchs, so that's great. And the funny thing is, my, um, we have a farm in Western Iowa. And my sister sent me a picture and she said, hey, my son, um, my nephew Pierce took this picture of a butterfly with a tag on it. And it actually came from Monarch Watch. Oh, wow. And that was the organization from the butterfly tagging story. And it's really, really rare to find a tagged butterfly. So it kind of that also came full circle as well to have that. And NPR actually used my nephew's picture in their story that is on their website. That is so cool. That is so cool. (laughs) It's pretty neat. Now, it's also uh, political season here in Iowa coming up on the caucuses again. And this is a very different year than uh, some years past. You've covered the caucuses 
as a television reporter in the past as well. But you're out there in western Iowa. You're the go-to person whenever a candidate decides that they want to make an appearance in Sioux City or Council Bluffs. Tell me how you're feeling about caucus season. You know, I love covering politics. I've been covering politics since um, President Clinton won back in 1992. So I do have experience covering the caucuses. I think it's always interesting when you have candidates go to small towns. Iowans love to meet the candidates. And I know it's different this year. It's just the, the Republican side doing it. But they love to meet the candidates and talk to the candidates. And they really do make a difference in who is eventually picked. Usually, it depends on the year. But I think that's always interesting. And it's always interesting to see what the candidates have to say. And I enjoy covering it. Um, it was a little bit more intense living in Des Moines, though. Yeah. Uh, you got to meet pretty much anyone that came through. And and I worked at KCCI television at the time doing a morning show. Everyone came in, even when, when, when they weren't supposed to be there. We had clashes between some of the political parties behind the scenes. I just wish we had a camera rolling at the time oh, to wow. capture some of the drama that was going on. So looking ahead, is there... Uh, an ambition on the horizon for you? Is there a story that you are excited to tell at IPR? I think just, I love telling all different kinds of stories. I like the variety of, of telling stories, mainly stories about people. I think people are fascinating. Everyone has a story to tell. And it's just an honor to be able to tell people's stories. Everybody from Jason Momoa to Jerry Irving. And just, I think it's important to, to, to be there and to listen to people and to share what they have to say. Sheila, thank you so much. Thank you, Charity. I appreciate it. Sheila Brummer is IPR's Western Iowa reporter. In a few minutes, we will get to know John Wanamaker, IPR's new All Things Considered host. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Support for IPR comes from The Healing Room at Upstream Functional Medicine, offering medical spa services that support the body's natural ability to detoxify from environmental challenges. Learn more about The Healing Room at upstreamfm.com. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. This hour, we are getting to know some of the newer voices on Iowa Public Radio. And with me now is John Wanamaker, our new All Things Considered host. He joined the team back in October, coming to IPR from Minnesota Public Radio. Hello, John. Hi, Charity. It's great to be with you. It is wonderful to have you here in the state, on the air, and on this show right now. And I just got done talking with Sheila Brummer. She wanted to be a journalist ever since she was five years old, which is pretty amazing. Um, you found journalism a little bit later on. So let's, let's start with where did you grow up, John? I grew up, I was uh, born in Madison, Wisconsin, but have lived all over the Midwest, uh, Illinois, and Nebraska. I lived in Omaha for a while and uh, then ended up going to middle school and high school in the Green Bay area. Oh, wow. Okay. And you enlisted in the armed forces right after high school, right? I did. I went to a, a small uh, Catholic all-male school that was uh, all about college preparation. And I decided to take a left turn and enlist in the army because I realized I was not ready for college at that point And I wanted to get out and see the world. And so I was 17 and uh, enlisted in the Army. That takes a lot of uh, clarity to know that about yourself. I think there are probably a lot of people listening right now who are like, I wish I had known <laughs> that I wasn't ready for college when I went to college. Um, 
And in the army, you actually became a medic. How did that happen? Well, it's it's a kind of a long story, but actually, to be honest, my first choice of job was broadcast journalist. And uh, I got into my in-processing, and the guy asked me, where's your audition tape? And I said, what? What? Audition tape? I, I didn't know anything about it. My recruiter hadn't told me anything about it. And uh, they gave me a list of occupations, and I ended up choosing medic. So what made you want to be in broadcasting at that point? When did that idea come up? I'd always wanted to be a writer when I was a kid, and I wanted to write for either a newspaper or a magazine, and I, and, uh, I thought that getting a little bit of, uh, of on-the-job experience at a young age would have been really a great idea. Unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. <laughs> so becoming a medic in the military, what did that entail for you during the, the period that you served? Uh, well, when I was in, uh, it was a 10-week course, and it was funny because within a couple of days, we had a one segment of our training called the shot module, and within a period of like two days, you learned how to give injections and start IVs, and it was, uh, I, I won't describe it to you in graphic detail, but it was kind of funny. These kids who had never stuck a needle in anybody were then, we were starting IVs on each other, and you can imagine that... Uh, it didn't always work out. The, oh, my uh, gosh. Yeah. but uh, My skin I got, is crawling right now, John. That's really scary. I got pretty good at it, actually. And then good. I went on. I went on to work in a hospital and then got my civilian paramedic training and, uh, and, and got more experience that way and actually ended up working on an ambulance for a while when I was uh, 18. Um, but I got a lot of valuable experience and actually ended up doing a lot of what a nurse does in a regular hospital. That didn't make you want to come back and go to school and become a doctor? Actually, I, was, I started out college pre-med and uh, found out that to be a doctor, you have to know calculus pretty well. And my uh, strength was not in mathematics. And I got up into the higher level courses and realized that this just wasn't for me. And then also, uh, my father, who was a doctor was retiring at the time and didn't have a lot of good things to say about the profession. Mm. So I decided to change direction and go into journalism. So what did what was your vision when you started studying journalism? Because I know a lot of us have gone through a lot of iterations of, of what we think we're going to be. I wanted to be that newspaper guy or that magazine guy. I wanted to be uh, the old phrase, the ink-stained wretch. And I thought that <laughs> I really, I was a print journalism major and I thought that I was going to go into print uh, but it didn't work out that way because I was taking a lot of odd jobs before I got into the field. And then I moved back to Madison from Arizona, had no job, no money. And my sister told me there's a radio station across town that's looking for an afternoon news traffic and weather guy. And uh, I just kind of on a lark sent them a tape, ended up getting the job. And, and that's what started it all about uh, 25 years ago. Wow. So that was commercial broadcasting, right? It was. Initially, it was. I worked for an oldie station, believe it or not, that had a news department. And uh, in the afternoon, I would do news. I would work from, I worked for a magazine in the morning and then drove across town in the afternoon and worked at the radio station. Oh, wow. And then somehow the, the allure of public radio got you? <laughs> Well, it's funny that uh, then I got out of radio for a little while, worked for an internet startup, and then I was working uh, on the phone bank during a member drive at Wisconsin Public Radio just as a volunteer, and they heard me 
the head of Wisconsin Public Radio heard me on the phone and walked over and said, have you ever worked in radio? And I said, as a matter of fact, I have. And, I had, and from that, I ended up getting a job at Wisconsin Public Radio. And then from there, I met my wife up in Minneapolis while I was living in Madison. And uh, I knew that I was going to move up to Minneapolis. Didn't have a radio job lined up, but got up there and uh, gave a tape to WCCO Radio, another commercial broadcasting operation. Ended up getting a job there. From there, you went to Minnesota Public Radio. Tell me a little bit about why public radio did draw you, why, why you preferred it over commercial. I've always been more attracted to the long-form reporting in public radio, the ability to kind of uh, go a little bit deeper into a story, get a little more context out of it, because when I worked in commercial radio, it was very quick hits, uh, general assignment reporting, covered a lot of crime and everything, but I wanted to cover issues that uh, meant more to people day to day. And that's what I found in public radio, is that that longer form, kind of letting a story breathe, uh, that's, that's the aspect of public radio that you just don't get in commercial. Yeah. What did you do at Minnesota Public Radio? At Minnesota Public Radio, I worked as a host and a newscaster and, and did some reporting, but I was uh, first starting off on weekends, so I hosted Weekend Edition, and then I uh, ended up being the midday, uh, Tony's position here, I ended up being the midday newscaster and host. But I would fill in hosting All Things Considered when our, our host was out. So let's look back at your time in Minnesota or maybe even before in Wisconsin. Do you have a, a story or a couple of stories that, that you remember working on that, that really stand out, that, that make you proud to think about in your career? Uh, I think one of the bigger stories I covered was, uh, I'm sure you heard about when the Interstate 35W bridge collapsed. And I was working at WCCO at the time in downtown Minneapolis. And we had a police scanner on in the newsroom. And this call came over and it said part of the Washington Avenue bridge had collapsed and that they were sending fire and uh, emergency responders. And my editor looked at me and just said, go grabbed the keys, ran, ran across the street, got a vehicle, and actually ended up falling, following a, a fire truck down the street, uh, running red lights, ended up at the scene shortly thereafter, and um, witnessed that whole scene unfold. And it was really one of the more memorable days in my career, just seeing oh. the rescue efforts, seeing the enormity of what had happened, and then reporting on the aftermath was... Uh, really impactful on my career. I remember that. I was living in Michigan when that happened, but I remember it so clearly and just being glued to the radio, listening to, to all of the reports out of the Twin Cities. That happened in 2007. What a horrific, horrific day that was. It was. I had a hard time oh. processing, actually. Um, yeah. I was on the scene on a cell phone reporting back to the station and walking down a road and I couldn't really see across the river because there were trees in the way. But as I got around the trees and really started taking in what had happened, uh, it's, I always joke that it was not my best radio work ever because I think my mouth was kind of opening and closing like a guppy as I was trying to process what I was seeing. But it, it, was, um, it was a big event and affected yeah. a lot of people and a lot of people's lives. Well, and, and you were doing such important work because people, people everywhere needed to know about it, but people in the city, I mean, that's a, that is a major artery through the city. People needed to know 
what was happening. Um, John, when you announced that you were coming to Iowa Public Radio, a lot of people were like, oh, IPR, how did you lure John Wanamaker away from Minnesota Public Radio? So share your secrets. How, how did we do it? Just, I mean, I know that we're wonderful and you wanted to come here, but how did we do it? There were external forces at work. My wife is from Indianola. And her parents were getting on in age. And uh, we had discussed this for, for years leading up to this, that uh, she would have to come down here and live to take care of them. And that I would have to obviously come with her eventually. And we lived apart for a couple of years, actually, while she was down here. And uh, I thought, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I didn't have anything lined up. What am I going to do in Iowa? And I thought about a wholesale career change, actually. I thought I might be doing something completely different. But then uh, Providence struck, and I saw the listing for the job at Iowa Public Radio, and I jumped on it and uh, got an interview. Rest is history. Well, I'm so glad that the stars aligned and the, the timing was good. It's so exciting to have you here. And let's talk radio first. I mean, now you are the All Things Considered host. We have a very different operation than Minnesota Public Radio. We're a much smaller organization. But what excites you about this job? I think what excites me about being at Iowa Public Radio, uh, apart from just being uh, a little more, I think, close-knit organization, uh, is that... Uh, I get a chance to work with, I mean, it's going to sound corny, but I've, I've discovered that really great people in this newsroom and in this organization. Uh, and, uh, you know, working uh, alongside Tony and then working alongside Clay, uh, uh, it's, it's just been, uh, it's been a rewarding experience. And uh, I just think that the, the welcoming of nature of this place has, has really been a, a good surprise. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. And you are no stranger to Iowa since your wife is from Indianola. I'm sure you spent some time. And Minnesota is pretty close to Iowa as well. But I have heard that that one of the things that has struck you about Iowa culture is the same thing that Grant Winterer shared earlier this hour. You have been shocked by the number of vanity license plates. Tell, tell me about your observations. <laughs> That is such a strange coincidence that both of us, both of us noticed that, but driving up and down the roads, driving up and down uh, Interstate 35 and on Highway 92 and I-65, I always look at other cars and uh, I noticed a large number of vanity license plates uh, and, I, and I would read them and try to figure out what they were saying. You know, everybody likes to put a little pun into their license plate, uh, but I was struck per capita I, I think that Iowa has probably one of the larger numbers of vanity license plates in the country. We need to do some serious research on this. I, we need the the statistics to back this up. But I, you and Grant both noticed it. It must be true, right? I noticed them in in Minnesota, and I've noticed them in other states where I've lived. But I was struck by the sheer number of them here in Iowa. Fascinating. Well, and of course, Minnesota is no stranger to political circuses, but you are also here in Iowa at caucus time. Caucuses are a little bit different this time around, but we still we still have a circus-like atmosphere in some ways. Uh, is this your first experience with caucuses? It is my first experience. We would send some reporters down from Minnesota to cover some of the, the aspects of the caucuses, but to be 
right in the bullseye of it and to be the focus of national attention for such an extended period of time, it, it is it is wild. And I'm sure it's pretty wild for Clay as well. Absolutely. Well, and it's it's been even wilder in the past, especially on years when the, the nomination for both the Democrats and the Republicans was up for grabs. You couldn't walk down a street without running into a presidential candidate at, at certain times. Um, looking into the future, it, what are you most excited about in the future, maybe with your work at IPR or just living in Iowa? I think I want to get out and explore the state. I always felt like I, when I lived in Minnesota, I didn't get a chance to explore enough. And I really want to take the opportunity. I've never, I've, I've definitely driven through uh, a lot of the state, but I have not gone to the far south and I have not been up into northwestern Iowa, which, was, Iowa, which I've always heard is really pretty. And I want to get up into that area, up into the Lake Okoboji area and, and just really explore the state and kind of get to know it a little better. John Wanamaker, thank you so much for talking with me, and thank you for making your home in Iowa. Thank you so much, Charity. John Wanamaker is our new All Things Considered host on IPR. We've been getting to know some of the newer voices at IPR this hour. I'm Charity Nebbe. This is Talk of Iowa.